Chapter Six of the Mystery of the Sea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Mark Thornton, Miranda, New Zealand. Mystery of the Sea by Bram Stoker. Chapter Six. The Ministers of the Doom. When at last I looked around me, I was not surprised at anything I saw not even at the intense face of Gormala, whose eyes, bright in the full moonlight, were searching my face more eagerly than ever. I was lying on the sand, and she was bending over me so closely that her face almost touched mine. It was evident, even to my half-awake sensibilities, that she was listening intently, lest even a whispered word from me should be missed. The witch-woman was still seemingly all afire, but withal there was manifested in her face and bearing a sense of disappointment which comforted me. I waited a few minutes until I felt my brain clear and my body rested from the intolerable strain which it had undergone in carrying that terrific burden from Winifold. When I looked up again Gormala recognised the change in me, and her own expression became different. The baleful glitter of her eyes faded and the blind unreasoning hate and anger turned to keen inquiry. She was not now merely baffled in her hopes, and face to face with an unconscious man. There was at least a possibility of her gaining some knowledge, and all the energy of her nature woke again as she spoke. "'So ye are back with the moon and me. Whither went ye when ye lay down upon the sand? Was it back ye went or for it? with the guests unto the holy well and beyond in their manifold course, or back to their coming from the sea and all that could be told of. Oh, man, what is it to me that any other can gang like that into spirit land, and me have to wait here by my lanes to wring my hands and torture my head in mock and hopes? I answered her question with another. How do you mean that ghosts go into the well and beyond? Her answer was at first given in a stern tone, which became, however, softer as she went on. "'Know ye not that the Lammas floods are the carriers of the dead, that on Lammas neck the dead can win their way to where they will, under the earth, and by wherever there is running water? Happy be they that can gain a holy well, and so pass into the bowels of the earth to where they list.' "'And how and when do they return?' "'Dinner jest with fate and the dead.' They're in their skulk and gang and return again. No in say ye no man or seers seeing the method of their gun. No in and yours can see them steal out again in the neck when their chosen graves that they had sought had taken from them the dross of the earth. I felt it was not wise to talk further, so without a word I turned and walked home by the sheep tracks amongst the sand hills. Now and again I stumbled in a rabbit hole and as I would sink forward the wet bent would brush against my face. The walk back in the dark dawn seemed interminable. All this time my mind was in a turmoil. I did not even seem to remember anything definitely or think consecutively, but facts and fancies swept through my mind in a chaotic whirl. When I got to the house I undressed quickly and got into bed. I must have instantly fallen into a deep sleep. Next afternoon I walked by the shore to Winifold. It was almost impossible to believe that I was looking at the same place as on last night. I sat on the cliff where I had sat last night, 
the hot August sun and the cool breeze from the sea being inconceivably soothing. So I thought and thought. The lack of sufficient sleep the night before, and the tired feeling of the physical strain I had undergone, my shoulders still ached, told upon me, and I fell asleep. When I waked, Gormala stood in front of me. After a long pause she spoke. I see that you remember, else would you have spoken to me. Will you not tell me all that you saw? Then will you see in and my knowledge of the fact we made together were not the great secret of the sea? I felt stronger than ever in the instinctive conviction that I must remain keenly on guard with her. So I said nothing. Waiting thus I should learn something, whether from her words or her silence. She could not stand this. I saw her colour rise till her face was all aglow with a red flush that shamed the sunset, and at last the anger blazed in her eyes. It was in a threatening tone which she spoke, though the words themselves were sufficiently conciliatory. The secrets of the sea are to be won, and tie thee and me it is given to win them. What has been is but an earnest of what will be. For ages others have tried to win, but have failed, and if we fail too for lack of purpose, or because ye like me not, then to others will come in time the great reward. For the secrets are there, and the treasures lie awaiting. The way is open for those to whom are the gifts. Throw not away the favour of the fates, for if they be kind to give where they will, they are hard to thwart, and their revenge is sure. I must confess that her words began to weaken my purpose. In one way, inexorable logic was on her side. Powers such as were mine were surely given for some purpose. Might I not be wrong in refusing to use them? If the final cause of my powers were purposeful, then might not a penalty be exacted from me because I had thwarted the project? Gormala, with that diabolical cunning of hers, evidently followed the workings of my mind, for her face lit up. How she knew, I knew not but I do know that her eyes never left mine. I suppose it may be that the eyes which have power to see at times the inwardness of things have some abnormal power also of expressing the thoughts behind them. I felt, however, that I was in danger. All my instincts told me that once in Gormala's power I should rue it, so I spoke out on the instant strongly. I shall have nothing to do with you whatever. Last night, when you refused to help me with the wounded man, whom you had followed, remember, for weeks, hoping for his death, I saw you in your true colours, and I mean to have nothing to do with you. Fierce anger blazed again in her eyes, but again she controlled herself, and spoke with an appearance of calm, though it was one with great effort, as I could see by the tension of her muscles. And so you would judge me that I would not help you to bring the dead to life again? I knew that Lochlane was dead. I— and ye kent it too as well as I did myself. Ye needed no seer to tell that, when ye brought him up to the rocks or to the tide. Then, when he was dead, for why would ye no use him? Do the dead themselves object that they help the living to the ends while the blood is yet warm in them? Is it ye that object to the power of the dead? You whose veins have the power of divination of the quick? You to whom the heavens themselves opened, and the earth and the waters under the earth, when the spirit of the dead that ye carried walked beside ye as ye ganged to St. Olaf's well? And as for me, what had done that you should object? I saw as you did that Lochlin's sands were run. 
you and I liken that to us both were given to see by signs that ages have made sacred that fate had spoken in his ears though he had himself not heard the voice no more to me it was only given to see that the voice had spoken but to you it shown how and when and where the doom should come though you yourself that can read the future like no other that is known can read the past and so could not tell when a lesser one would have guessed at lang syne i follow the doom you follow the doom i by my cunning you and you wake free asleep following your conviction till we met together for lachlan's death amid lammas floods and under the golden moon on the golden sea through his aid i young sir for we ought a fresh corp to aid no sir i earth could have done as ye did that lang line of ghosts ye saw last nicked though his aid the wonders of the heavens and the deep or earth and air was open till ye why then be ye that condemn me the only sir a sign and followed can i be guilty what be you it would be impossible to describe the rude wild natural eloquence with which this was spoken in the sunset the gaunt woman seemed to tower above me and as she moved her arms the long shadows of them stretched over the green down before us and away over the wrinkled sea as though her gestures were giant-like appealing to all nature i was distinctly impressed for all that she said was quite true she had in reality done nothing that the law would call wrong lachlan's death was in no possible way due to any act of hers she had only watched him and as he did not even know that she watched he could not have been influenced in any way by it or by her as to my own part her words gave me a new light why had i risen in the night and come out to winifold was it intuition or a call from the witch-woman who in such case must have had some hypnotic influence over me or was it i stood appalled at the unspoken thought could it be that the powers of nature which had been revealed to me in the dread hour had not only sentience but purpose i felt that my tone was more conciliatory as i answered her i did not mean to blame you for anything you had done i see now that your wrong was only passive i felt that my words were weak and my feeling was emphasized by the scorn of her reply my wrong was only passive my wrong what wrong had i done that you should sit in judgment on me could i have helped it when lachlan met his death among the rocks in the tide why you yourself sat here beside me and ye no helped him or tried to strong man though ye be that could carry his corp frae here to st olaf's well for ye ken the no leaven arm could aid him in that hour of doom ay laddie the fates know their work well to hire only such betterment are their plans and if ye think that by any act of your own or by any refusal to act or speech ye can baffle the purpose of the doom ye are yet strong and ye must learn then learn it now while ye can that when the word is spoken all follows as ordained ay though the ministers of the doom be many and various and though they hear together in end from many ages and fray the furthest ends of the earth Colmother's logic and the exactness of her statement were too much for me. I felt that I owed her some reparation and told her so. She received it in her gaunt way with the dignity of an empress. But there her dignity stopped, for seeing that she had got a lever in her hands she began at once womanlike to use it. Without any hesitation or delay she asked me straightly to tell her what I had seen the night before. 
The directness of her questioning was my best help. My heart hardened and my lips closed. She saw my answer before I had spoken it, and turned away with an eloquent, rugged gesture of despair. She felt that her last hope was gone, that her last bolt had been sped in vain. With her going, the link with last night seemed to break, and as she passed up the road the whole of that strange experience became dimmer and dimmer. I walked home by Cruden Sands in a sort of dream. The chill and strain of the night before seemed to affect me more and more with each hour. Feeling fatigued and drowsy, I lay down on my bed and sank into a heavy, lethargic sleep. The last thing I remember is the sounding of the dinner gong and a dim resolution not to answer its call. It was weeks after, when the fever had passed away, that I left my bed in the Kilmarnock Arms. End of chapter 6